Joining us, he's back again. It's Sword and Sandals Month, so you know we got to have our boy Jake on. And Jake, we were just talking about this. When was the last time you and I were on a podcast together at the same time? We have no idea. Yeah, might not even be until last year, 2022. I'm looking back. I did Skin of Marink, but I think that was uh, Adam and Jack. And I did the last two Sword and Sandals with Adam and Jack. And uh, yeah, I uh, I don't know, Steve. It's been a while. We got to cut. I think there was that that Skinnerink follow up, that horrible uh, found footage movie. Oh yeah, dumb people from LA by a lake in the yeah, desert yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that must be the one. Oh, that that was the one. Yeah, I never watched that one. Wow. Oh, out, the Outwaters. Yeah, that yes, movie. Yes, yeah. That yeah. was it. That was so it. memorable. Okay. You know, now everyone loved it at the <laughs> so time. So memorable. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is great. I mean, because Jake yeah. and I do have like a really deep-seated hatred for one another we usually don't go on the same podcast but we make some exceptions when we're talking paul ws anderson so uh, that's right also joining us jack is back jack how you doing this week um but, you know i i proposed the paul ws anderson so great episode for me you're gonna doing take great. a w for that one yeah yeah and uh speaking of people who get to take a w this week even though uh their life is a series of l's adam myros <laughs> yeah that sounds probably right <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was someone's dog in the bathroom background or Jake trying to hold back laughter. <laughs> the latter. Yeah, yeah. Uh no, I, I really thought like yeah, you went to bat for a couple of these that we're gonna be talking about this week, I think. And both of them I was deeply, deeply skeptical. <laughs> well, and I had seen one and I, I was like I, I had seen it on an airplane and it was a pretty ideal for that venue and uh, i was like well this will be safe and then it kind of settled into this sort of uh directors uh that you would know you know we, we wanted to go with something uh sort of a theme for the modern uh, swords and sandals stuff of uh of directors of of some note uh for various uh reasons uh good and bad uh who <laughs> uh failed spectacularly <laughs> with this genre mm -hmm. yeah well, I, and, and I think, yeah, probably the through line here and, and the way that, that you connect with all these films, Myros, is really just the lifestyle choices, like on a personal and professional level that all these directors are making, uh, that you, you just really agree with them, right? Well, I mean, Alex Proyas hasn't done anything, has he? <laughs> <laughs> Yet. Yet. Yeah. That's the good I, thing I, about the podcast, know. too. It's evergreen. Someone's going to download this in five years, and boy, are you going to look like shit. Yeah, yeah, fair. I mean, I guess Jack, as as the resident W.S. Anderson man, can take solace in the fact that uh, he's the only one of these three directors whose career was not completely torpedoed by by these films. So there you go. Yeah, that's true. That's that's, true. that's something that's beautiful. I think also can we can we agree like from early on from a legal perspective because Ackman's vaccine obviously big target on her back with big Hollywood moguls because we're you know mm -hmm. got the inside track and everything probably for Brett Ratner we should we should agree only an alleged rapist yeah allegedly mm. allegedly yeah. just the worst guy yeah yeah that's fine so just that's a blanket statement uh Brett I know I know you're not working so if you're listening right now <laughs> you're allegedly uh disgusting lecherous rapist allegedly 
So uh, with that out of the way, yeah, we get to talk about, in, I mean, in Hollywood, there's, uh, there's a lot of famous, talented directors uh, by the name of Anderson, but we know who's the best. It's Paul W.S. Anderson. And in 2014, he unleashed upon the world uh, Kit Harrington's cheese grater abs in a movie that's kind of like semi-boring gladiator meets a disaster film from the decade prior. It's Pompeii. What the fuck is Keith Sutherland's accent? I don't know. Someone explain it to me. I, I, there is no explanation. I think that's one of the, my favorite things about the movie is Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland is doing an accent, but it is no accent anyone else has ever done. It's, he's just talking weird. Yeah, his accent what, what, is like this. Growly Angerman is his uh, accent. That's all. That's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. The 24 special. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, but like, no, I mean, it's, it's beautiful because he fits into a, a wonderful lineage of, you know, Roman epics or historical epics full of accents that are, you see a lot of people, they're cowards. They just go with English, you know, but mm -hmm. not, not for Sutherland. He goes for something else. He goes for, yeah, someone like kind of annoyed Kiefer Sutherland, but with a kind of like a, a little twinge at the end. It's, it's very peculiar, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it works. He's, he's of course the scenery chomping villain in this, except for the volcano, which I guess is also the, the villain yeah. slash great cleanser. It's like the Travis Bickle, of the film, well, it washes the scum off the streets of Pompeii. Well, you know, you need you need stakes on the ground for when you're trying to outrun a volcano. It's one thing where it's erupting. It's another where you have to go save the love of your life from Senator Quintus Adias Corvus and his uh, <laughs> his, his legion of villainy. I guess oh, it's legion of his life. What do they had like two conversations? <laughs> Yeah, sure. well, I, I mean, they had that great meet once. cute where she falls in love with him after he breaks a horse's neck to put it out of its misery. Yeah, this is this is so fucking weird, too. So, uh, I mean, our, our two <laughs> yeah, major stars here, we have we have Keith Sutherland, who is post 24, but pre designated survivor. So this is kind of like his mm -hmm. his in between thing. He's really trying to get his, uh, you know, his big screen foothold in. Uh, and then you've got rising star Kit Harrington. I think Game of Thrones at this point was a couple of seasons in. And somebody said, you know what? This guy can swing a sword. I bet he looks great in a loincloth. Let's throw him out there. Let's make him a star. And I, I honestly, from a logical standpoint, it makes sense. You know, you would think this, this guy's the next thing. Uh, it is a shame that he has all the charisma of a block of wood, especially when placed up against Keith or Sutherland. There's, there's not a lot going on there. He's also um, like five foot three and it, it, it doesn't yeah. exactly cut the figure of a gladiator. <laughs> no, he, he looks like a baby. Like, and they show him, they show him like as an actual baby, uh, when his, his family is, is murdered and uh, their bodies are burned by Keith or Sutherland and his, his Roman homies. And he, he looks like he's like, you know, two feet tall at the age of five. And then it's like cut <laughs> to modern day Pompeii where he is. And he's the same size. He's just a little baby man. And he has he's no baby man. There, yeah, he's, there is, yeah. he's fucking shredded. Yeah, I think yeah. that intro is like it typifies my problems with this movie in that it's like uh, it's W.S. baby. But he he doesn't play by the rules of storytelling. Like the, it's got this whole intro where the kid is pretending to be dead and in this giant pile of corpses. And so, I, why is he a slave? 
<laughs> like, that, it seems well, like yeah. they went I through guess he and gets killed at some everyone. Point, and he but how, yeah, how does he learn to be a amazing fighter or whatever? It doesn't make any sense. Right, we need like a, the worst some people. sort of follow-up <laughs> scene where he's he's like uh, transcribed transcripted into slavery, and uh, yeah. that doesn't exist here. And it, it's sort of the same thing that follows through this entire film, where it's like we set up. We're we're doing things that Paul W S Anderson thinks are cool, uh, it, it, even if they're not in service to anything going on in the plot. Like basically, everything that this movie builds to is entirely undercut by the goddamn volcano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is a bit of an issue, and also the aforementioned tiny ripped baby for a protagonist, who also his his entire like character arc slash romance development is based on the fact that he's kid harrington's essentially like a horse girl in this right like that's his mm -hmm. whole thing is he can yeah. he he can tell the horse to be a good boy that's that's all he offers really <laughs> so i i don't know and then yeah and then a volcano erupts so it's like yeah whatever we were building to whatever the movie was for the first hour fuck it now you get cool volcano explosions which if we would have been in a theater this would have been in 3d what the fuck we missed the boat in 2014 Sorry, yeah, Jack, I mean, let's let's not underplay. I mean, the the, the destruction is is pretty great. It's it's good fun, and mm -hmm. I I think I think Anderson is going for. I mean, it's uh, and I'm not the first to have drawn this comparison, although I hadn't heard it before. I watched it, and I was like, oh, okay, so uh, we are doing Titanic, but in Pompeii, and apparently that was exactly what everyone else who ever saw this movie is. It's like Titanic, but in Pompeii. Whether or not you think that's good or bad is entirely. I leave that to you. But that's very much <laughs> what the film is. So yeah, it's trying to over map like map a. Uh, uh, a romance, a grand romance onto a fateful tragedy on, on an unavoidable scale. And I suppose that's that's kind of the, the grand concept of the movie is that these people will fall in love and they're destined to be together and they will do anything to be together, but they will do so in the face of uh, dying. There, There's no way out of Pompeii for reasons that aren't entirely clear because I think you could just run the other direction for a lot of it, but they're not entirely... You know, there's a lot of, like, upward, like, uh, bird's-eye footage of Pompeii that seems to show a lot of land that everyone could have run away from when they're galloping on horseback, but everyone just kind of stops at a certain point. It's like, nah, volcano time. But <laughs> neither here nor there, because that has to fit in with uh, the, the social leveling of the volcano, because I suppose if this is a film of anything, it's a film of aristocrats and slaves and, uh, you know, a, a poisonous social order... That is uh, all subsumed by Earth's wrath. Um, if you were to read Grand Politics, so I guess politically speaking, Paul Thomas Anderson or Paul, sorry, Paul W. S. Anderson, no. not Thomas Anderson, <laughs> you, you would have made a very distinctly different <laughs> movie thing. with this, possibly some <laughs> David Bowie on the soundtrack. Uh, w. S. Anderson has his own movie that's basically about how, you know, uh, politics, social order, there's problems out there, but wouldn't it be cool if everything was just incinerated? Yeah, and yeah. that's that's the movie, really. That's Pompeii in a, in a nutshell. What if everything was incinerated? Hard to argue with the logic there, honestly. And yeah. I, it, it sounds like I'm kind of shit talking this movie, and I am a little bit because you know, again, Kit Harrington. Uh, I'm not going to go as far as to say I could kick his ass, but I think I could beat him in a game of one on one basketball, handedly. Like, I, yeah, I, I definitely that's, that's possible. Yeah, he's a little, he's a little wimp. He did have a tough, tough him. time getting the shot off. Yeah, hmm? I I yeah. think before we, uh, if it sounds like we're kind of being too hard on these movies, uh, I joined this episode because I thought, oh man, this is going to be some real trash. I remember 
all these movies came out. Nobody really liked them. Nobody talks about them. These are just going to be some real Hollywood shit heaps. And uh, to my surprise, all three movies we're talking, I would each give them three stars. They're solid oh, yeah. enter- entertainment. This is a yeah, uh, weird three star territory. Man. Not a not <laughs> a bad not a bad time. You know the 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 Vesuvius erupting. It all looks great. It's just nice to see. The Colosseum and everything get wiped out as uh, the the heroes are, you know, that like they have a like a chariot chase sequence while they're also outrunning a volcano <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to stop Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> I'm like, this is pointless, but I'm I'm digging it because everything is just great to see everything go up in flames. And and yeah, at the end, you know, it's uh, it all just proves to be uh, futile. Everybody gets engulfed and incinerated, except for maybe one horse that got away. But uh, yeah, I uh, uh, Pompey's fine by me. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the 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 main thrust of this film, because I mean, I I'm I'm not a Paul W S Anderson super fan, and trust me, those exist out there. If you don't, if you're not particularly online, they it, that man has his he's got an army quietly just waiting. <laughs> waiting ready to pounce for any of his movies i enjoy almost all of his movies that i've seen i think he is one movie that is genuinely spectacular which is resident evil retribution uh, i believe the fifth one whatever that one's called i think it's retribution <laughs> this uh, is an insane yeah. thing to say but crazy I know, right? yeah, I've no, never seen incredible it. <laughs> movie absolutely incredible film Highly recommend it to everyone. You probably don't even need to watch any of the other Resident Evil movies, but I'd say do it anyway. They're all pretty good fun. Yeah. But um, he's he's very much yeah he's he's a visual stylist. And what I will say about Pompeii more than anything else is that kind of like Paul Verhoeven, um, he just has a sense of scale and detail with his special effects set pieces that really does hold up. I mean, when the volcano starts erupting and when the first fissures appear, you know, and the land cracking and this and that, uh, it's it's really impressive. It's, it's kind of like it's scaled well, it's built well, it's coherent, but also kind of like grand and terrifying. Um, it's pretty good stuff. The, the question of how well the romantic elements and the, I mean, quasi- thematic elements uh, map over top your mileage may certainly vary there but i think by around the like 40 minutes before the close when everything starts uh going up in flames yeah i wouldn't mind seeing this in a theater frankly i, I didn't think yeah. to go at the time um but yeah it would it would have been pretty cool i think yeah that's an important distinction to know too because does the romance work at all absolutely fucking not but does oh, no. it matter the actors like, Ooh. Yeah, it's like, hey, what if the Titanic exploded? That sounds cool as shit to me. And one thing that this movie does and the other movies that we watch also do is they are just proudly just dumb as fuck and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's okay. And this is this is a good, this is a core tenant of optimism vaccine. Who are we? We are just dumb as fuck and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. My uh, my and- issue is, so sorry, I'll let you finish. Mm. No, I I was just going to say the other thing is Paul W.S. Anderson. I really do need to go back and watch more of his movies because the man is consistently releasing things that I forget exist at all. And then I go back and I'm Mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised. See Pompeii. I completely forgot that he made a Monster Hunter movie in 2020 that I, I don't Fun know movie. if anybody saw it. See? There you go. See? Apparently yeah, I got a fucking Monster Hunter. If I, it does yeah. have a giant seat, like a human-sized CG cat who's a chef. For oh, a reason. Huh. I'm hoping that's in the original video oh, game because it would yeah, seem yeah, like yeah. a hell of an insert otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my issue is because I also I need to qualify, I am not a 
PWSA fan by any means. I, I, it's been years since I've seen a Resident Evil movie. Apparently, I do need to go back and watch them because I guess, yeah, there's been, there's been a sort of reclamation of his films. Um, but he kind of strikes me as a very dumb filmmaker who thinks he's smart. Like this film opens up with like the very dramatic still images of these ashen bodies fleeing in terror with that's oh, you, you mean with the Pliny the Younger quote? Yes, exactly. It's intercut <laughs> with Pliny the Younger quoting about how dreadful that day was, and then it like builds to this grand Pompeii, and then and then yeah, then we get the backstory of Kit Harrington. But yeah, it's it's he strikes me as somebody who thinks he's making something profound, but I mean, really, he's just putting a lot of money into an effects department to blow shit up. Which you, you got to know your strength somewhere. But uh, let's not kid ourselves here, at, uh, PWSA. I'm telling you, Jake, hop on Letterboxd and look at some of the top reviews. There's a lot of people think he's an incredibly profound filmmaker. I'm not no, seeing it this, myself within this, but. I mean, yeah, no, this film, it's this film alone is riddled with like four, four and a half star reviews right on the homepage of Letterboxd. It's uh, it's 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 wild. Well, their now. proclamations, it's a masterpiece. And, I, you know. I, I just don't because yeah. I mean I think from my mind it's I think Anderson is a he's a capable visual stylist and I think that's what showcases through everything else here is like the grand politics of it of slave and aristocrat and everything it's kind of like yeah it's it's very much just the the rough it's why we make historical epics it's why swords and sandals is an entire genre it's because mm -hmm. you get to just play around with power dynamics that are like otherwise supposedly outmoded um, yeah and none of this feels particularly fresh to me and I think it's it's certainly undercut by the fact that Kit Harrington is really just a, like a haircut in the movie frankly like he's just there it's really funny if you check IMDB uh, like 60% of the trivia about IMDB is about Kit Harrington's abs like this was a big thing at the time I have no idea why um it's it's kind of remarkable like costuming it's like can we see his abs enough and it's like does he have abs and he gave himself body dysmorphia for this for fucking pwsa movie uh it's it's a wild wild world of hollywood here and um you know at the end of the day i i enjoyed this movie i think this movie's it's pretty good fun but i mean i would mm -hmm. be hard pressed to proclaim this film to be of particular note even within Paul W.S. Anderson's filmography. It's, uh, it is definitely, it's, it's definitely a movie he made and uh, it's got its good points, but they mostly occur in the second half when everything is on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, uh, uh, I'm a little lower on this one. It's definitely like my least favorite of these three because uh, I think it, it is not quite as Steve describes it. To me, this movie is not unabashedly dumb enough. Like, it, it thinks it's doing something and it's not. And I, I could see why. I mean, the idea, it sounds like something you could make a, a prestige film out of. Right. But there's this mystique to Pompeii that is not related to a Roland Emmerich style fucking city melting into the sea. It, it's this sort of idea of, of a suddenness of, of these people kind of trapped beneath ash in their everyday lives very unexpectedly it just and that isn't a, a dramatic idea that is interesting especially with this sort of backdrop of of a gladiator but the result here is again you're just halfway into a very generic quite dull 
uh, poorly cast gladiator film, and then all of a sudden Roland Emmerich busts in and starts uh, melting the city. And yeah, I don't know. It, it's not like the worst thing I've seen in, in quite some time, but it's also, to me, just a very unremarkable film. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would agree that I think it, there's two ways, to, there's two lenses to view this through, which is either the, like, the viewpoint of people who know they're up against death and there's grander themes, they say, of love and of freedom. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Our Gladiator's friend dies on his, on his feet, a free man, but still in a gladiator ring and so on, you know. Um, there, there's these themes and it's like they, they, there's embracing those grand themes in the face of death versus, like you say, and I think maybe a more interesting and accurate summation of Pompey, which is everyone didn't know that they were right at the end of their lives. They didn't grasp for what really mattered. They didn't have time. They just got flattened by the earth. Um, entirely different kind of a film, entirely different thematic setup. Paul W.S. Anderson is going, I think, for something more grandly romantic with this film, but I do feel that even as, as well stylized as the final collapse is, there's maybe too much order to this film ultimately as a depiction of a basically, you know, absolute chaos of you know, human society being completely shredded, uh, you know, with absolutely no control over it whatsoever, no way to mitigate it, to slow it down, to redirect it, nothing. Just everything you ever knew and loved is just instantaneously torn asunder, and you are too. Uh, <laughs> very different out of a film, but I, I suppose they had to come, come up with some kind of a framing mechanism, and this is what Anderson wanted, was something that's about grand, you know... Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's almost nihilistic in a sense. If you look at it as, as a kind of like a resetting of the, the you know, Pompeii is being infected by Rome, which I don't know how accurate this is anyway. It's like basically our, our analogs in the film are that uh, Kiefer Sutherland is the Roman senator being sent to Pompeii and he's a real piece of shit because Rome's a real piece of shit place full of terrible people. Pompeii is represented by Jared Harrison, Carrie Ann Moss who I don't see her in many movies, uh, honestly. Um, and they are the parents of the girl who loves Kit Harrington because they snapped a horse's neck like a twig. And uh, <laughs> they are wonderful, nice people who are good-hearted but realize they have to do business with the Romans for the good of Pompeii. So there's kind of this give and take of moral order and things in it. I don't really think Pompeii was particularly in that situation. I don't think any no, of this was important. I don't think important. they're even in that situation in the damn movie. They're presented <laughs> as like... Like these good people, it's like you guys are still doing slavey shit, and fucking yeah. you have a coliseum right. where people are fighting to the death. I think you're just as bad, but you know, right? There's there's this whole thing in it, and I think like Anderson's viewpoint is like everything goes boom. And it's like, is this a like if this is a political vantage point, then what like what's the end point of this? It's like man, it's it's pretty much just Twitter, I guess. You know, like man. I don't like this person. Someone should kill them. They should kill themselves. Everyone should kill themselves. I hate them. Which is mostly like 98% of political discourse online now, which is very healthy and it's brought us to a good place. Uh, here's the movie for you, I guess, if you want to take it at face value as political, like as a politicized piece of work about freedom and slavery. It's like, choose to be free and you'll get killed anyway. What the kill heck? the bad people. <laughs> They'll die too. It's grand. Yeah, I mean, uh, take it as political work if you like, but then to me that's pretty specious. Like, it's just, it, it has the same politics as every fucking Gladiator movie right, you've ever seen. It's a stretch, seen. for sure. Yes, it is, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I've never seen a gladiator movie where the guy uh, wins his freedom and and then dies anyway. No, that's that's a fucking bold original take on on the. <laughs> First time uh, it does give everything. us that great that great set piece where they set up all the uh, the gladiators to get routed by the Romans to to reframe a, a political victory or a, a war that was actually a slaughter and and the the gladiators actually fight back and win and reframe it and it's uh i mean honestly through the post of 9-11 or through, through the lens of post 9-11 america uh very interesting but also definitely something i've seen in several other movies so mm. hmm, interesting well you know let, let me let me say this to you myros is this is this not dumb enough for you you want dumber okay. i want dumber let's, steve I want let's dumber. let's ratchet up we're gonna turn the knob up a little bit more and then we're gonna break the knob off after that but let's just turn it up a little bit first uh, how about Dwayne the Rock Johnson fucking suplexes a horse? You like that? Does that tickle your fancy? Oh, I like that. <laughs> well, uh, you may have forgotten, but hey, in 2014, The Rock was Hercules. I completely forgot this existed. And it was directed by Adam Myros's personal guru slash lifestyle coach, Brett Ratner. Unbelievable. Uh, this is a film that posits, hey, what if? Hercules, instead of being half man, half God, was maybe just a, a guy who's fucking yoked. Um, also, if as long as we're doing this with all the main characters, I definitely could not kick Dwayne the Rock Johnson's ass. Uh, but no. <laughs> that being said, uh, you know, I don't know. There's a few other people in this movie. Uh, Ian McShane, I could probably kick his ass, right? No, I don't think so, Steve. I mean, no, I, w I wouldn't actually try <laughs> that. Maybe no. What about you, John Hurt? I take you over John Hurt, I guess. I can, I can take now, out John Hurt. Sure. Could I beat Ian McShane in basketball? Mm. Uh, Honestly, I, I think Ian McShane is inscrutable. I have fucking no idea what that man can do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just how see how he's twirling that McShane? staff. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so this is... Unlike Pompeii, which is doing, you know, Titanic by way of, of Roland Emmerich, uh, Hercules is a little bit more indebted to the, the marvelization of, of summer blockbusters. And it's hard, like any movie released between 2010 and today, that's a big tentpole uh, action adventure film. It's hard not to just juxtapose it with whatever, you know, is in the Marvel slop trough at the time. Yeah. And this has a little bit of that because it's the rock and his buds and it's, you know, it's like sword and sandals Avengers a little bit. And fast and but furious, I think is a, is a definite touchstone as well. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And so you, you can see that, but thankfully it doesn't go full bore into that stuff. We're not being, we're not drowning in, in quips and visually it's kind of hilarious because there's this opening scene with Hercules uh, where he's a child and it's the you know story of like oh the poisonous snake comes down and he grabs the snake and it is legitimately if we're talking about like of the era it is some of the worst cgi i have ever seen and i saw that i was just like oh fuck what am i in for <laughs> <laughs> and then the end of this movie is also just like just the last 10 minutes like why why all of a sudden does everything look like ass but everything in the middle it looks pretty fucking good and it's pretty fine and it's pretty not the avengers and on top of all that i mentioned the rock body slams a horse and then all he does other than that is he gives like pep talks like he's a, a fucking junior college assistant football coach or something and 
it, it just kind of works. It's it's lovely. It's pleasant. Yeah, it's it's certainly, nice. Yeah, it's it's not the movie I thought I was tuning in for. I assumed this would be the rock fighting big CG monsters, because that's if you're telling the legend of Hercules, that would seem like the obvious thing to do. But no, instead, what we have here is we open with snippets of the various legends of Hercules fighting big CG monsters, etc. And then that's being told by reportedly Hercules nephew. And then the rest of the movie is, yeah, it's just pretty much a straightforward war epic. It's like the Dirty Dozen, but, you know, in Roman times or whatever, Grecian, yeah. I guess, times. And yeah, yeah it's, it's it's man. And it's it's actually a, a demythologizing mythologizing film because it turns out that all of the, the centaurs and the hydras and everything were not magical at all. Yeah, well, they were yeah. just... So Hercules, he has a squad and everybody's got their special set of skills and he, he leads an army out and there's this battle pretty early on in the film, which uh is is actually kind of incredible they fight these like green snake warriors and it's uh i was this is pg-13 but i was like this is surprisingly violent and it's really mm -hmm. well staged there's a lot everybody gets like a little moment to shine it's 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 bloody it's uh like Dwayne the rock johnson takes his giant war club he slams it onto a cart and turns it so it's it flips it so it's basically perpendicular to the earth and then he kicks it and it goes flying across the plane and hits three guys and they get impaled on this like spike log uh I, I mean i don't know this this battle scene was pretty amazing what did you what did you guys think i i thought i was like wow this is um, brett radner directed this yeah it kicks ass it's like gory as shit for a pg-13 movie and that was a huge shock uh, especially because the last film we're going to talk about has some very unique ways of trying to dance around <laughs> using actual blood uh but yeah it and it's the way that it's shot is just fucking cool uh speaking of problematic dudes a little bit of uh the the what's the mel gibson movie shit uh apaca uh, apocalypto yeah yeah one of the one of the <laughs> i always fuck up the name because one is a mel gibson movie and one is like a, a shitty band of guys with like cellos who cover metallica or something yeah. uh <laughs> yeah i think it's apocalyptica is is the cello one the and cello apocalypto, i think are, are the mel is the mel gibson one <laughs> okay. don't know if the cellists are anti-semitic haven't looked into it that far sure sure uh you never know uh but anyways uh yeah so the, it's 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 got shades of that to it but it, it it does it's just got this gore and this look and this this really visceral violence you get a little bit more of the the hercules myth making too and you get you get a flavor of like what all these guys can actually do and it's not that they have magical god powers uh hercules is jacked as fuck and also pretty smart and then his nephew is able to mythologize him, but then he's able to do some sleight of hand things like, oh, he dipped his hands in the blood of the Hydra so no one can deal with his punches. But really, he just had like a, a like a snapped off tip of a arrow in his hand and he punched a dude in the face and drove an arrow into his skull, which kicks ass, by the way. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that's cool. And then you get to see the other guys and what they can do, too. And you're like, oh. Uh, what's this guy's magic power? Not much. He can just knife the shit out of you and he's good at it. Yeah. There's a woman who's just a great at shooting a bow and arrow. Awesome. There's a guy who like, you know, saw some shit. So he's basically like a feral dog human. Very cool. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, everybody's here. Amy Shade, uh, what's his superpower? Well, uh, apparently he knows when he's going to die, except he's wrong all the fucking time. No big deal. Uh, he's got a big stick that he waves around. It's great. So really, it's like these guys are just skilled mercenaries who are smart and they know how to, you know, mythologize themselves to intimidate their enemies. It's, it's all great. And 
we find out that Hercules has his own merch. He's got Herc merch, which he tells all these soldiers if they use, it'll make them better and smarter and faster and stronger. But really, it's just like decent armor. Uh, so, yeah, you get all of this in the first battle, and it's, it's competently shot on top of that. So, really, it gives you all the storytelling you need without droll, just exposition constantly, constantly, constantly. Good shit. Yeah, it's it's uh, it feels very Dwayne Johnson in one sense. Well, I think with Black Adam, he's eventually like tipped over to the like, you know, big supernatural like punch and whatever kind of thing. But but it's it's kind of an interesting one because, yeah, the, like I said, this is like a demythologizing movie. It's really a movie about the myth of mythology. It's a movie about preparation and training more than anything else and it really is it's it's a movie about like we need to fight a war so we better get good at fighting wars that's basically it we don't have a way out through you know whatever being blessed by the gods etc it's you know so like i think steve your your comment about basically being like a high school football coach yeah that's pretty much it it's it's a movie about the positive thinking uh, being in an in the in an army um <laughs> and, and it's not what i was expecting and it is i think it's all pretty well presented and copy you know well shot I, I would say it's probably in a sense i have the least notes on this movie which i think is is good and bad because i think it means it's a very slick nicely put together movie but it also mm -hmm. there's not there's not a lot of, to hook into here i don't think besides like it, it moves very well it it works well as a movie but yeah. it's also kind of like uh, i don't know exactly what i'm gonna take away from it long term um yeah, there, there's yeah. a few things i did note though like for example like in one misstep for uh, alleged rapist brett ratner um <laughs> there is uh the story of hercules and his his wife and children being murdered is introduced to us via the most 2000s horror jump cuts imaginable it's like it's absolutely egregious shock cut thrown in uh, I thought that was extremely funny. There's nothing else like that in the rest of the movies. This is really goofy insert thing. Like you mm -hmm. just flipped over to fucking ghost ship or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's this is just a really slick, entertaining time. And I mean, and I think The Rock comes out of this pretty well, considering he has largely inured himself as a as a, a box office hit at this point by becoming essentially popular Steven Seagal. Um, in that he he insists on playing heroes who are like invulnerable and no one can really do anything to them and they're always right and everything's good. I grant I haven't seen Black Adam. I believe there's a little bit of a couple of rumples in the in the goodness there or something, but not really because I think he's ultimately right as well. You know, but like basically boring lead action dude who's like no one can really hurt him, no one can really worry about him because he's just too buff and too cool to ever have any problems. Um. This kind of he seems to have let go of that a little bit here, or maybe not put it fully in place. So, uh, yeah, it it works pretty well. It's um, yeah, like, th this is a solid caught it on cable, sat down, watched a bit of a movie. Mm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This probably airs on TNT every Saturday afternoon and has for the past eight years. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, this is um, like the era where. Uh, it's before the rock was like the biggest guy in Hollywood, you know, and he was a lot more interesting still at this point. Not that this is like some fascinating performance, but it is exactly what you want out of a Hercules performance really. And that's like, 
what separates this other than yeah it's got a pretty clever premise it has also a lot of like wretched modern blockbuster stuff that that drags it down a bit like i don't really see the utility of hercules's family needing to be killed and this the fucking shit and the the fact that we have to make it all like the fast and furious family we're, yeah we're family everyone's family like just shut up with this shit uh La familia yeah. Yeah, I I don't think that necessarily, like, if Hercules had no backstory whatsoever, I don't think he would fundamentally alter this film. He would still be making the same decisions, and, and the central premise of the double cross of, of John Hurt uh, is itself a, a fine enough dramatic motivation for the lead, and it's... Yeah, on on that front, it's it's quite a strong script and, and quite a fun premise and it's also like just you talk about the last film being uh disastrously miscast in a lot of places like this this movie is it could be the biggest pile of slop ever in all and with this cast they can carry it the fuck through because it's just incredible yeah pretty much yeah um, yeah and again like this isn't it's not gonna completely like blow your dick through your ass or anything but it's it's great. It's just fine. It's it's a wonderful thing to just put on and zone out and just let let the rock goodness wash over you. Yeah. And I do like that we get to see some of his weakness here too, like you guys mentioned, because I, I think you need someone with a massive on-screen physical presence. And the rock is someone who can pull that off in, in a way that like only Arnold Schwarzenegger really can. And the the difference is though is if this movie was made 20 years prior, Arnold Schwarzenegger wouldn't have fucking done it because he had, he has too much pride, but uh, you know, the, the rock being able to strip a little bit of that away and uh, it kind of brings some nuance to the character. It's nice. It's good. I like it. So yeah, it's very much in that peplum tradition of like Hercules helps out a King to restore a kingdom. And it, it turns that just enough to make it, it interesting and, and almost sort of postmodern, but it is, it really feels like a, a proper peplum film. Yeah, and also looking back just as the, what The Rock has become, I think he's one of the most annoying stars of our time because everything he does now, he, he thinks he's just such hot shit and he's also like contracted to never lose a fight uh, ever. And yeah, looking back, this like he has some humanity, he has some weaknesses, he's, you know, he doesn't always win. So yeah, this is just kind of an interesting thing to look back on. This is also a time where I think he was basically trying to start any franchise that he could get his hands on. And so this, this definitely has like the, the air of a, Oh, you know, if this did well, we would get a sequel with all these people back together. But uh, I don't think that was the case, but yeah, that's yeah. uh he, he's uh he's an okay Hercules. Yeah. This didn't mm -hmm. eat quite as much shit as Pompeii, but it did not do well domestically. I think it probably just about broke even international, but uh nonetheless, yeah. it was the, uh, very last feature film directed by Brett Ratner, whether that's due to uh, its box office failure or various allegations. I'm not sure when those broke exactly, but. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't really do much after that. It's a so. shame. When's Rush Hour 4 come? Only Brett Ratner could ever, <laughs> could ever make that formula work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, has, have any of you ever seen something, like a, or have you ever seen a Brett Ratner movie where you're like, man. Only Brett Ratner could have pulled this one off. 
<laughs> well, the weird thing I is he was like think. a wonderkind. Like he his short film was like one of the hottest. Like it's it's like one of the most viewed short films. Like he was just like the hottest property coming out of college. <laughs> That's I mean, there's a reason why those things aren't great indicators. Something like you get you had De Palma, who you know won an Oscar while he was still in film school for a short movie, and De Palma actually was interesting, but very different era there. Yeah. Well, you know. Sometimes you've uh, you've got a lot of potential and you you cash it in for X Men and cocaine and that's okay you know it's a decision. <laughs> Anyways, uh, not a ton more to say about this other than it is perfectly fine. Oh, you, you're you're taking a, a trip overseas and you got to watch a couple of movies. That's good. Throw on Hercules. I bet it's streaming on whatever the fuck Delta airlines streaming services well i can tell you it was like six years ago because that's certainly how i saw this film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so uh, let's move on I, t- I told you i was gonna up the stupid a little bit for hercules and now uh, this is a movie where genuinely i was i was like i don't know myros and, and you really fucking stumped for this one you're like we gotta we gotta watch it gotta watch it and that was gods of egypt and as i promised this is uh, one of the most wonderfully stupid things ever filmed and i have zero recollection of this like the other two movies like if you're like oh you, you know there's a paul ws anderson P- pompey movie i'd be like yeah that, that sounds familiar rock hercules uh, i don't remember that but seems reasonable gods of egypt i don't fucking remember a thing about this uh it is also <laughs> like pompey trying to uh, ride the momentum of uh, Game of Thrones with its lead character, but this is this is a completely different batshit loony fucking premise. Uh, it, it starts out a little bit like Pompeii too, where you've got your your typical like oh a, a girl and a and a common thief, and the thief has promised the girl you know happiness, but he can he deliver on his promise because he's a poor piece of shit with an overly large forehead, and she's beautiful, and, and what, what are we going to do? And it turns out that they're not just living in Egypt. Oh, no, uh, they're living in Egypt, and, and the gods are, are people, but they're not people. They're, they're, they're big motherfuckers. They're like 10 feet tall. <laughs> like they're actually yeah, it's, it's an amazing premise. It's basically <laughs> e- Egypt is the Garden of Eden. This is like prior to human history, when Egypt presumably was the only place on earth or something it was uh, all of earth was just egypt and the gods lived among us and then some stuff went down and and the egyptian gods left i guess and and earth started up elsewhere not entirely sure the movie doesn't go into that but um yeah this this is an amazing movie just in terms of like it's it's alex proyas who who is egyptian i believe family heritage but grew up in australia just going back and just uh running roughshod over his his uh his whatever national heritage and it's kind of beautiful it is utterly deranged uh the way that, it, that he approaches it and you know i i rewatched the boxer's omen recently and i mean that's <laughs> also a very deranged movie and the thing that i love about it is it is deliriously surprising like everything that happens is something that you do not expect to happen and while you know, Gods of Egypt is a giant studio blockbuster film that was clearly meant to be a franchise. Uh, so it, it has some some shackles on it. 
uh, it, it has that same kind of energy where every time I see something or something happens in the movie, I, I don't expect it. Uh, you know, Gerard Butler shows up and he's it, all of a sudden these gods start fighting. Why is fucking uh, Nikolai Kosterwaldo, why, why is he the hero when he just comes off as a smug dick in everything he's ever been in? Uh, Gerard Butler has a fucking beetle chariot. Everybody <laughs> can turn into a Gundam. We, we talked about weird accents with Kiefer Sutherland and Pompeii. What the fuck is Chadwick Boseman doing? It's insane. It's like a community theater version of a red stripe beer commercial. I don't fucking get it. it it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is one, one of the great things. I think if you want to sum up this movie in a sense, it just isn't it surprising. Jared Butler has played anything but Scottish in almost every movie he's ever been in. In this movie, he's Scottish, but also an Egyptian god. Mm -hmm. It's just incomprehensible. There's just a wonderful alchemy happening here because you're right. It's um, like this movie is just full of things I've never seen before. Things I've never envisioned, like obviously yeah. Egyptian scarabs. Okay, so yeah, giant beetle chariots, fantastic. Big gold faces everywhere. Buildings, just like these. Like the entire thing takes place in like just a CG miasma. So like every background mm -hmm. background looked like like the insane acid trip of a 90s video game designer the whole yeah. thing is just like absolutely ludicrous and it's it's beautiful i mean we mentioned beforehand like i mean jeffrey rush plays ra the god of gods and he lives in a space station <laughs> that circles the flat earth so that he can fucking shoot the sandworms from dune with his <laughs> magic fire stick he he's not just circling the earth he's towing the sun around the flat earth so that the sun can have its normal day to night cycles that's and yeah, yeah, he's fighting a giant just as the egyptians shark. foretold uh-huh and, is, and Jake, maybe so... maybe you know this better than i do and and this is the other thing too because it's like where where does my ignorance end and the movie's ignorance begin it's kind of hard to tell uh, but I don't know how much of this is from actual Egyptian mythology and legend and how much of it is Alex Proyas going, fuck it, giant beetles. Uh, so I, I don't. It's, <laughs> I got I got to imagine it's like 50 50 at best for, for Egyptian uh, mythology. I described, yeah, I described uh, Jeffrey Rush's introduction to my wife and uh, she said, I don't know if that aligns with Egyptian history. And I said, what, the flat earth part? And she said, no, the fucking spaceship part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah, you got a point there. Yeah, 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 I mean, I, I prior to seeing this movie, I had never conjured up the phrase "super Saiyan Egyptian gods," and now that's forever going to be in my lexicon, and honestly, going to be a metric that I'm going to going to compare future blockbusters yeah. to. Not only yeah. can the gods turn into these like giant metallic Saiyan Gundam things, but Gerard Butler is also carrying out this side plot where he's killing other gods so he can get their powers and upgrade his metal suit. So that way he can fight and kill uh, Nikolai Kostrowaldo and become the god of gods in Egypt. And so he's yeah. he's he's running around tearing off wings. He steals the brain of Chadwick Boseman. He, he's just upgrading his his own equipment <laughs> so that he can be indestructible in the final battle. Yeah, all the <laughs> yeah. fucking greaseball pencil neck geeks who are out there and, you know, this movie comes out and they're like snarkily like, this is the worst movie ever. Ah! Fuck you. You're sitting around watching anime. This is live action anime and it's barely live action. Yeah. It's the most fucking vulgar, garish CGI I have ever seen in my life. 
And it's, yeah. one of my favorite facts about the movie is because Alex Proyas is he's Australian. So uh, most of this movie, the desert scenes were shot in Australia. And so this movie between cast and crew shares 500 different or 500 people with the cast and crew of Mad Max Fury Road, which is like one of the best looking <laughs> movies from the prior year. How slightly like, different methodologies, I think, uh, are going on here. I don't know. But I, yeah, I kind of I, I kind of dig it. I'm just uh, I don't care. It looks like hell, but in the best possible way. I, I know in the Harryhausen episode, we were decrying the sort of like green box methodology employed by Hollywood. But if if you're going to make a green box film, uh, here you go. Make this. At least make something make this, that's completely yeah. fucking yeah. unhinged. I think I think what glues this movie together for me, or at least uh, initially got me into this movie while I was like flung around in the opening by what is happening? Who? What? Is this real? Is this this happened? That a studio produced this? But I think what really like gels it all together from the outset is is honestly a very classical tenet, which is to me this is like the modern movie that has like the horniness of of Cecil B. DeMille's Cleopatra, like right up front. It's just like cleavage and shaped like form-fitting outfits and everything in a fashion that's like completely ahistorical and insane. Everyone looks like a glamour model. Uh, it's it's you know is it's very much that like Claudette Colbert or Cleopatra image. Uh, Proyas is like he just goes full tilt into that within PG thirteen standards. But then yeah, it, it, everything else in the movie is just. It's just images. It's just things happening. There's a scene in this where two women who are assassins, they ride giant snakes into <laughs> battle. And mm -hmm. they sit atop the giant snakes on just like basically just little chairs that are just stuck to stay on top of the giant snakes' heads. And one of the women who are riding into battle just blows like toots on just a little horn while she rides it. It's like just this accumulation of absurd details. It's kind of wonderful, yeah. frankly. Yeah. Like and like Adam says, if you're gonna make if you're gonna make a kind of like shitty CG like completely fake looking video game movie, lean in, do do it like this, make it interesting, make it surprising, make it stupefying. Yep, this yep. is and that's exactly what it does. Yeah. Uh, down to the fact that like not only is it just like hyper detailed, but in ways you wouldn't expect, and uh, just nonstop tits out, but not like out, just like. Yeah. Uh, on the verge of falling out. Um, it, it, my favorite thing that Proyas does in this is, uh, do you guys remember the, you know, the original Mortal Kombat when it came to home consoles? If you had a Sega Genesis, you got blood. Uh, but in the Super Nintendo version, because Nintendo's a bunch of puritanical dickheads, it wasn't blood, it was sweat. So mm -hmm. the, the blood that would come out in the fatalities and everything else, it was, it was just like this whitish gray color. So basically Proyas did the fucking sweat move on his movie and uh, it, this movie is pretty fucking violent and yeah. like dudes get decapitated and, and just like impaled and all this shit. But instead of bleeding, they all just ooze gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Egyptian gods say they have gold for blood. Apparently, did you not know that? Is that I, I did not. Is this why they're also 10 feet tall? Yeah, it's sure. Weird as shit. It's like it's like watching the latest Neil Breen movie where everything is green screen, but nothing is like the correct proportion. So people are just randomly it's very tall or very short. It definitely <laughs> feels kind of fetishy here and there, where you have these giant, giant people looming over regular size people. There's definitely 
feels like they might be working out a few things here and there because otherwise it doesn't particularly plays into the storyline at all no no and and is the idea that like okay so we know they're gods because they're they're big boys and girls okay but like i i knew they were that already because they turn into fucking gundam so i assumed that (laughs) right yeah doesn't make a lot of sense yeah uh, frankly you jack had said within pg-13 standards but boy this movie i don't know uh, it feels like a joke on the mpaa that this is a fucking pg-13 movie like the female lead is essentially naked (laughs) the entire movie oh yeah zaya or whatever and and uh again this is uh, this is violent like there's people are just getting hacked to shit in this movie but it's gold, I'm, so I guess that's fucking A-okay. That's why, yeah, yeah, Horace gets his eyes gouged out yeah. in the first scene of the movie, but because he bleeds yeah. gold, it's okay. Yeah, totally no, it's, it's really, it's fun because, like, I, and what's interesting about it is, is um, like, I would say Pompeii and Hercules, and really most PG-13 movies I watch, they are always trying to be as violent as they can within the edicts of you know, PG-13. So, like, Hercules says, like, in that big battle Jake talked about where they fight the green-skinned guys, there's one very clear part where a guy has his arm out and, like, as you see a sword swing into the arm and you know, like, that guy's arm is just about to get lopped off. And then it cuts. You know, and it's it's this very... It's one of the things I kind of dislike about PG-13 movies. They're not really functioned... Like, they're not stylized to showcase what can be shown they are they're they're built to build up to what they can show and then it cut away from it and it's this very dissatisfying irksome tendency in pg-13 movies it's like if you can't show someone getting their arm cut off why build the shot to build to that like there's no point you know do something that you can show mm-hmm. but of course the problem mm-hmm. is that the violence has to be you know this and that like because because ultimately you're trying to play it to like 12 year old boys who just feel like you know like they've kind of got something except that like frankly they have access to the internet they're probably watching gang bangs when they get home like yeah. does it, none of this is relevant anymore it's not like when we <laughs> when we were kids and we really we really didn't have those options so what i like about gods of egypt is that yes it's very violent but like it it comes with this kind of like twist like you say this this kind of change of perception this skewing of things that allows it to really function well within the mode like it's everything is cartoonish but yes still functions to to elaborate on what they want in in terms of violence it's much smarter in that way than the other movies because because ultimately you don't feel like you know i never get a feeling was like oh man they cut away they didn't do this they like they oh, no. nearly could have but they didn't sure this movie just does whatever it wants <laughs> it's because it works yeah. it's it's all it's all in there and yeah i mean they they build up this incredible amount of like kink elements with giant people and smaller people and just you know the dresses and everything are outlandishly like sex forward um and then yeah it's just hacking and slashing with just gold everywhere but it's it's fine you know because it's just gold so it's it's yeah i mean honestly this movie completely surpassed my expectations i was i was not expecting this movie i you know i was thinking hey proyas i haven't watched much of his recent stuff i've never i've never even watched i robot which i think was like his last big hit um you know dark city was good i've not really watched anything since then from him but obviously i maybe i need to do some some catch-up because this was a this this is a fun, inventively goofy movie. You don't have that mm-hmm. much catch up, Jake. He hasn't really directed a ton of things. I mean, yeah, 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 that Nicholas Cage movie, which is pretty, uh, you could skip that. 
it's not like awful, uh, but it's it's pretty. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but this That's, movie is a legitimate. Believe it or not, fine. that is that is the last movie he did before Gods of Egypt was Knowing in two thousand nine. Uh, yeah, and he's done crazy. nothing since. He's this yeah. this was the end of the line because I don't know. Coming off of that Nick Cage movie, which was not a hit, how on earth he was granted $140 million to make this goddamn thing is a mystery to me, but uh, I'm glad I mean, he it was. Seems, yeah, it, see, it seems, it makes sense. I mean, you want you, you want Marvel stuff, but like, you know, you don't want to pay for IP. Well, here is folklore, like Hercules and this, like it's clever. And and Egyptian folklore is, is foreign enough to most people. You know, you got your regal room, which Proyas really takes advantage of. But um, yeah, this is by far and away, if you check online, uh, this is by far and away the most reviled of the three films. People hate this oh, one. It's got like, yeah. fucking hate it. It's got 14% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. And uh, it, it, the thing is, too, is it was basically cursed before it even came out. Uh, it, so when the, the Lionsgate announced the movie and uh, they were talking about the filming and it was clear they wanted it to be a... Uh, uh, a franchise and all this shit. And immediately, immediately the cast came under criticism uh, because uh, mm. it turns out that uh, everybody in this movie is pretty lily fucking white and not Egyptian at all. But that was just like, oh, a movie got announced called Gods of Egypt. It's an action film. It, it's about Egyptian mythology and there's a bunch of white people in it. It's like, okay, but what you actually get I feel like it would be more offensive if you actually put Egyptian people in this fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would love not, to know. This is not about. It's called Gods of Egypt, but it is. This has nothing to do with anything. This is. No, it's I, fucking anime, man. That's. All I would is. love to know what Egyptians made of this film. Like, why? yeah, what, <laughs> it wasn't f- even called Gods of Egypt in in Egypt. It was called like Dudes in Egypt. Or, I don't know. They had to change the name. <laughs> <laughs> They're not interested in calling it Gods of Egypt. Dudes in Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, I mean, it is, it, it is again, very, very adjacent to the Peplum stuff where you're like dealing with this really inscrutable thought process of these gods. It's very inhuman feeling and it's, I don't know. I think this is a real find for me. I, I think this is far and away the best of the three films. Like, I, I think it's legitimately an interesting piece of work and I, I would probably, uh, really like it if it weren't for the fact that I don't know where this Brenton Thwaites fellow was dragged out of, but Jesus Christ, he's terrible. Going away. Fucking terrible. He's, he's, he, yeah, he's, he's another, he's another Australian soap, teen soap well, star. send him back That's down where they under, all start. please, because Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always good when, you know, you roll out your $150 million blockbuster film and before it even debuts, you have to issue an apology for it. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Always uh, good. Always a good way to start. They shouldn't have issued yeah, any a- apologies. They should have said, "Shut the fuck up and enjoy this great movie." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say, I, I have a, like, I, I would say, I will put some caveats on this. Uh, um, the the CG, the, it is often the imagery is surprising, but there is a certain element where it becomes that kind of weightless things flying around Marvel thing that you know I feel like it maybe by the finale it loses a little bit of its its uh, its uniqueness its originality. But honestly, I wouldn't even complain too much about that. I would say my main complaint against this movie is that. When Jared Butler disappears off screen for a large chunk in the middle, the movie's not as much fun because yeah. he just mm-hmm. looks like he's having a goddamn ball in this thing. He's just 
playing playing the villain with absolute relish. So, yeah. you know, there's definitely there's a few and it, it has a little bit of the quippiness that, you know, the Marvel movies really brought in. But yeah, I, I would agree with you, Adam. I think of the three movies, even over Pompeii, honestly, this is probably the one I would watch again first, frankly, and mm-hmm. probably the one I'd be most likely to throw on if a group of people around just go, hey, check this out. Yeah, this. I'm yeah. not going <laughs> to grant it the, the same cultural weight, but what this reminded me of at times with the way it employs uh, a very ropey CGI is is RRR, especially in the early portions, because mm. this film actually utilizes like legitimate throngs of extras like this is a this has got that sort of you can see where the money went to a certain extent beyond uh, whatever the fuck they were doing with their cg but yeah this is this is a movie that is is populated in a way that you seldom see in modern blockbusters even when they're going for this sort of uh spectacle film yeah i totally agree that was actually one of my first it's when it when it when it occurred to me it's like wait a minute i'm really enjoying this you know when i clicked in a couple of minutes in it's like this this is actually really something and you're right i think this very much reminds me of asian blockbusters where they've been going which is outrageously garish cg in a lot of cases like actually you know no conception or credence to verisimilitude and realism they don't care that's not what they're doing and it's absolutely been to their benefit. Now, I'm not going to say this movie is quite as good as some of the best of those I've seen, like, say, you know, Choi Hawk's Detective D and the Sea Serpent or whatever, Young Detective D and the Sea Serpent, or, 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 which admittedly is a much more human movie than yeah. this. This is absolutely deranged. <laughs> but yeah, there's this absolutely just gleeful playing with basically the sandbox of CG in a way that Hollywood often doesn't allow itself to because there's always this feeling of like, well, we've got to make it realistic. And it's like, we absolutely don't. No, you know, none of this has to look real or, you know, like that. It just needs to look cool. It needs to look interesting. And they, they, a lot of them missed a brief on this. Gods of Egypt absolutely looks wild throughout. It just, it's swirling imagination. It's between Ra's spaceship to the fucking sand dune worm to the huge buildings and temples that are erected that are these absolutely insane, vast CG labyrinths. I mean, it's, this is what they should have been doing all along. I would, I would go mm-hmm. to the movies a hell of a lot more to catch a movie like this if I didn't, you know, rather than going in and knowing that what I'm going to see is some kind of drab movie that wants to look like a 70s thriller, but was in fact shot in a fucking CG green house in Atlanta somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, make more of these, please. Yeah. Well, a uh, couple points of clarification here before we wrap this one up. Uh, I do want to say I, I was mistaken. I said in Egypt it was called Dudes of Egypt. <laughs> Turns out that wasn't the exact title. In Egypt and the United Arab Emirates, uh, the title of the movie was actually changed to Kings of Egypt, which I think is a kind of a step down from Dudes of Egypt, but they didn't ask me. Uh, also, if you want to know the level of stupidity at play here, Gerard Butler, when doing uh, promotional interviews for the film, said that as soon as he saw the word God in the script, he immediately just went out and got extremely jacked because he wanted to look like a god. So I just picture him literally reading just just the first page of the movie, <laughs> seeing the title, not reading the script, putting it down, and then just going to the gym and just lifting things for six months until they started filming. How funny would it be if he got cast as a human in the movie and just, oh, he just boy. read the title and went out and did it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been great either way. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, all these movies, I, in, I enjoyed them all to a degree, and certainly they're all deeply flawed in their own ways. But like you said, if I'm going to like tell someone you have to watch one of these more contemporary sword and sandal movies, or, you know, you, you got some people over, you're like, hey, look at this shit. This is what I'm fucking putting on. This is, this is pure spectacle. And anyone who just brushes this movie off without any second thought or real consideration, uh, you deserve to be pummeled in the penis repeatedly. Repeatedly. No exception. So, anyways, I, I think that just about wraps it up for Swords and Sandals Month. How sad. But, Jake, what are you putting over this week? Uh, yeah, so... Uh... A little while ago, I uh, revisited a film I had not seen in, uh, oh, I don't know, 15 or so years. Uh, I put on Terrence Malick's The New World. You, we can all have our pick for favorite Terry film, whether it's Badlands or Days of Heaven or The Thin Red Line, which is my favorite. But rewatching this, and I was thinking, oh, wow, this is really good. I had never really considered it to be amongst his best work, but I thought it was very every moment is just so like rapturous and beautiful and like it's such a i watched the extended cut that's was released on the criterion uh three disc set and uh yeah i was just uh amazed by it from beginning to end top to bottom it's a very uh astounding film and uh i would just uh, recommend if you haven't seen that in a while go check it out and if you haven't seen it definitely watch it you can probably just start with the uh, extended cut and you'll be all right so, yeah, uh, The New World by Terrence Malick. That's what I'm going to recommend. Yeah. Watch a little uh, T. Malick. What are you doing with your life? Yeah. Not doing that, probably, but you should be. Jack, what are you putting over this week? Uh, well, first off, uh, yeah, I'm in Chicago. I'm going to be going seeing The New World. They're, they're playing it on 35 mil next month. So or wow. I think maybe that or the month after. So I'm definitely going to have to see that because I first saw that movie on DVD. Um, so it'll probably look nicer. Um on a big screen like that so can't wait because definitely fully agree amazing movie i'm gonna put over another movie that i missed on its initial run um which and i don't know how because i was trying to pay attention to horror movies just last year i felt like i watched enough total shit i've seen uma one of the worst films i've ever seen but somehow I this one passed well yeah i know to be fair but i'd heard of it already so i went and i watched this like could it really be as bad as steve says and it turns out steve maybe you weren't mean enough about uma but leaving that aside and i think you did say you watched it on a plane and you wanted to just walk out of the room which is fairly mean and i was justified. gonna say run back the fucking tape of me talking about uma because i think i was pretty harsh <laughs> and yet still really really terrible movie but Here's a not terrible movie, and it's streaming on Hulu right now, is Watcher, directed by Chloe Akuno, who, um, the name didn't strike me as familiar, but I realized she also directed, I think, probably the best segment in VHS 94, the, the rat sewer episode, which is actually successfully quite scary and also very funny. But um, Watcher's her first film, her first feature, I guess, um, on, as I say, streaming on Hulu now. It's great. It's about a woman who moves to Hungary with her boyfriend. He gets a job and she just feels like she's being stalked, maybe being watched. And what really sets this movie apart is that it is 
built out of real cinema elements. It's built in composition and editing, pacing, and so on. It's like it's it's composed from the real building blocks of movie making. It's not a bunch of people telling you stuff, which you know is uh, far too much of everything these days. Really impressive, pared down, atmospheric horror movie. Uh, really, I was just kind of like, holy shit, this is, this is really good. Almost in, in some sections when she's wandering through, like, a, a seemingly abandoned, uh, Bucharest, I was like, man, almost reminds me a little bit of, like, the Rome of, of Argento's Inferno. Don't, you know, you might want to not want to run with that comparison too close, but, like, there's just these little inferences and these little bits and pieces that remind me of it. It's, it's a movie that, you know, sets you in, in a mood pretty well. So, yeah, Watcher. Check it out. I don't know how I missed it. Apparently played at the cinema by my house and I completely missed it at the time. And now I'm kind of mm. pissed because it would have been really good on, in a big screen. So, yeah, oops. Mr. Cosmopolitan Big City can't be bothered to go out for real cinema. How about I never even seen the poster. I'm wondering was it out mm. of town for that week or something like I just never heard of it. So, wow. Oh well. Oops. Better late than never. Shameful. Shameful. Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I've actually seen some new things for once because uh, we had no power for a couple of days. So out I went. Uh, and I will put over with, with some reservations uh, a Talk to Me, uh, which is kind of the, one of the more hyped horror films of the year. Uh, yeah, made by a couple of YouTubers uh, in Australia. And it is really at its core sort of just an update of, of a basic sort of Ouija possession concept, uh, communing with the dead. And it, it does have a lot of uh, A24 stink about it in that it is uh, not, not particularly effectively frightening at any point. It's, it's far more concerned with uh, its metaphors and its its psychological impact, and that can be kind of exhausting. Uh, obviously, uh, we have had our say about uh, A24 horror on this podcast in the past, but what stood out to me about this is that it is very much a teen horror film, which is, uh, I think, essential if you want to really uh, push ideas in this genre, then pointed toward the group that actually embraces horror readily. And this is very much uh, a young person's film, uh, much younger than me, honestly. This, But it feels quite authentic. Um, and yeah, it, it, is, it, it is more interesting than frightening, but it is definitely worth a watch. And uh, it, it's kind of a step forward for me in, in A24's pursuits. I, I think it's a healthy mix of like, a Blumhouse style plot and and a more arty aesthetic and uh, for me yeah yeah it's, it's worth a watch for sure. I'm glad you got to get out a little bit. Um, you know maybe maybe this, this power outage is a real blessing. For yeah. You. yeah. Uh, did you do anything else? You go to the gun range. You do a little solo Hooters run or what was what was the what else? No, I just I watched two movies and then uh, went home and the power was back. Not what? No lunch. No, no Hooters. No, no Hooters, unfortunately. Wow. Unbelievable. Twin Peaks, maybe? Haven't we discussed that Hooters is in Taylor, Michigan, Steve? You think I'm just going <laughs> to... <laughs> I mean, that's only less. Like 45 minutes downriver. Come on. Yeah. Come yeah. on. It's worth it. Well, you know, again, if you take one thing away from this podcast, it's there should be more restaurants in the Metro Detroit area, honestly. Uh, but hey, what am I putting over? Great question. 
I mentioned the boxer's omen. I'm putting over the boxer's omen. It's like the easiest put over of all time. Uh, what's what's the craziest, silliest thing you've ever seen? Bet this movie has something crazier and sillier. And then it all just sort of like runs into each other with it's some insane momentum. And you're thinking to yourself, is is this like a, a you know, one of those movies where everything is just edited out of sequence and, and it doesn't make any sense? No, no, no. There's There's a logic running through it. It's just the most twisted, psychotic, deranged logic you could possibly come up with. Fucking great. If you haven't seen The Boxer's Omen, watch it now. If you have seen it, I bet you haven't watched it a couple years and you deserve a rewatch. So, Boxer's Omen, great. Other than that, if you're listening to this podcast right now, there's a link in the description that will take you to our Patreon page. And why, oh why, would someone want to be a patron of Optimism Vaccine? Jake, why would someone want to be a patron of Optimism Vaccine? Well, suppose you wanted to control our future and decide what we should watch and discuss next, and uh, you can have that power for a very low sum. You can. You absolutely can. Now, if you want to donate at the absolute lowest sum, which you are welcome to do, there's no sum too paltry for Optimism Vaccine. You can give us just a few bucks, and I will still give you something, and that thing I will give you is a movie from my personal collection. Not only that, but you get more Optimism Vaccine than ever before, because you get access to our special patron feed, which includes exclusive podcasts, new content that the fucking peasants don't get to hear because they're not donating. And uh, also, there's uh, there's old written stuff that we did years ago that's on there, the whole archive, everything. It's all there for you to, to just consume. That's what we need you to do. But as Jake mentioned, if you want to donate at a higher level, that would be lovely, you know? Fly that optimism vaccine flag, show your support. And for that, for that, my friend, you will get to vote on an upcoming episode. And actually in September, now that we're wrapping up Swords and Sandals Month, we're actually going to have another patron vote. Uh, last one was a, was a huge success. It brought us the Brett Michaels episode. I know Jack always reflects fondly on his time spent watching Brett Michaels movies, right, Jack? Oh, absolutely. Life-changing. 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 And so, yeah, we're going to have another poll coming up soon. In addition to that, you get your name read out on the air if you're in that five or above tier. So, Myros, who's in that tier? Uh, we have David, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Absolute saints, every single one of them. And then if you want to be a true Optimism Vaccine contributor, you want to you be a real bro, here's what you do. You donate at that highest tier, the $25 tier. And, you know, maybe you're able to do that uh, reoccurring or maybe that's just something you you want to do once and that's okay even if you want to do it once because that means for $25 you get to choose an entire episode whatever the fuck you want $25 and we'll do it very exciting uh actually in the past it's it's been quite lovely and you guys have picked nice things but conceivably you you can pick anything and and we watch it you know maybe maybe you want us to watch all the Resident Evil movies Especially that fifth one. Well, that might cost you fifty dollars. I don't think we could do that in one episode. <laughs> you're gonna Myros eat, that, you're gonna eat that donation. If if <laughs> if Myros concedes that some of them are pretty good, he has to refund the patron. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, somebody somebody was floating the idea of paying us fifty bucks to watch all the Children of the Corn movies. So it, <laughs> that you uh, see that one, yeah, we accept. Like fucking, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's like, only there's eleven, like 11 of, those of them or something. Movies, yeah. yeah. Jake is preemptively tapping out of that one. <laughs> I've never you seen know, maybe, a single Children of the Corn film, so I don't know. Maybe there's some gold. You in haven't? There. I've not oh. seen one of them. 
I can tell you there's not a lot of gold. There's That's fair. Jake's not a Midwesterner, and it shows, because obviously nah. shown in schools in, in the middle <laughs> region, you know? Wisconsin, yeah. Iowa, you're not going to get away from the corn there. No, no, he's, he's not a child. He's a child of the, of the beach. He's a child of Hollywood. That's glitz right. and glamour. Yeah, uh, yeah you're, you're, not, you're not missing a ton. I, I always think it's bad, like, you know, when you're talking about a, a long-standing film franchise and the first one sucks shit. That's usually not a good sign. And the fact that there's 11 of these, and I think there's like multiple back-to-back reboots, and then there's a, another sequel that picks up prior to the rebooting, it's, it's an absolute fucking dumpster fire. And if I remember correctly, the, the best one is like the third or the fourth one, and that's Urban Harvest. Or it's, it's not good. I don't know. Don't mm. fucking watch Children of the Corn unless someone pays us. Pay us 50 fucking dollars. Watch Children of the Corn. But yeah, uh, I think that about wraps things up. So. Yeah, if, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros, smashing that refresh button on the inbox at all times. And uh, also, if you want to tweet at us, at optimismvaccine on Twitter slash X, uh, also Blue Sky now. So we're, we're everywhere. It's, uh, it's really exciting stuff. I think that about wraps it up. So, Jake, last word is yours. I'd buy that for $25.